Welcome to the Hidden Wire podcast. This is episode 1016, my interview with Sergey Young. We're discussing the science and technology of growing young. Enjoy. Sergey, welcome to the Hidden Wire podcast. Great to have you here. Take two. Um, we'll press the record button now. Uh, good to have you here, mate. How are you? Hi, Lee. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Yeah, us too, mate. You've got a fantastic book that's... Um, Certainly got my attention, the science and technology of growing young. Um, are, you a, are you a person that wants to live forever or are you just interested <laughs> in this field? Like what's, what's the go? Why did you write this book? Yeah, so, look, I'm a longevity investor and a book author. Um, mm. And uh, what do I think? Uh, my plan is to live to 200 years. 200 Healthy years. And happy years. Yeah. Is that actually possible? Uh, I right? know it's completely irresponsible promise, knowing what I know about current technologies and science, but uh, this is my dream and I'm working on that. Mm. I've always said I'd like to live forever or at least a long, long life. Um, <laughs> whether I make the right choices to do so or not is a different question, but um, I know a lot of people out there, they say, no, we're happy to live to you know 60 or 80 or whatever it might be. They don't want to live to ever. Yeah you find that yeah that's true so um 60 to 80 percent in at least in developed world uh so 60 to 80 percent of people uh, living in the developed world they're against life extension they don't want to add you know any single year to their life hmm. and and that's that's a little bit shocking for me but you know i can appreciate and i can understand the logic while and feelings while people feel that way. Uh, so people tend to go very binary when they are faced with a choice, whether they want to live longer or not. Mm. Speaking of immortality, I'm not a big fan of immortality. Um, and and we, we like knowing what I know from- Why is that? Longevity. Why are you a big fan of immortality? So, so longevity, uh, okay, why is that? Uh, first of all, it's, it's impossible. Um, immortality um it's gonna be our okay our way of living longer or even forever is going to be realized in a way like every three to five to seven years we would need to make a choice whether we add another five to ten years to our life given the advancements in technology and uh, science so it's not going to be like a day and time when you will need to decide to live um forever hmm. it's more like a series of your life extension decisions that you would need to uh make and that's uh that's actually makes our life interesting but in in long story short uh i think if you take out the death from the human life cycle we're not going to be humans or we're going to be completely different kind of humans and i kind of like the way our life cycle is um designed today what do you mean by that the life cycle that's designed today um Are yeah so what i'm saying like, I mean, we've is... got a lot of props that that boost us up but i think we've also got a lot, a lot of things that actually are killing us that um perhaps is now shortening lifespan yes uh that's true and uh well let's look at figures right 90 percent of deaths uh, after after the age of 50 are driven by four reasons, four diseases. I call them killer uh, monsters. Yeah. Uh, cancer, 
yeah. heart disease, diabetes, neurogenerative diseases. That's it. So that's 90% of them. And they all called age-related diseases. So with the age, after aging processes starts to manifest and develop in your body, which is usually after age of 40 or 45, um, your chances to die from these diseases uh, are uh, exponentially growing. Hmm. And uh, well, that's, that's the whole point. And this is what we're trying to fight with. And um, so the, the, you know, my enemy is aging and aging processes. Uh, and right. I do think we are living in very unique uh, moments of time in the history of humanity where we finally know all 3,000 genes in our DNA, which are responsible for aging. And if we can slow down aging uh, by genetic means or by any other technologies, which apparently in the, in, in the development, uh, we're going to be different humans. Hmm. Did you say 3,000? Yeah, it's, uh, so our DNA is uh, probably around 3 billion uh, different genes. And 3,000 genes uh, within our DNA uh, that are responsible for longer and healthier living. Yeah, for aging. 3,000. Okay. So you're saying we can, we can now do things, either, I guess, short-term, long-term activities or, or, or is it medicine that we can do to help hmm. alter that so we can keep those genes in a better state longer? Yeah, so um, uh, there are a number of horizons that um, we would approach uh, on our way to longer living. And mm. if you look at you know my book, I start, I, I was talking about three different periods of time. So one is like what you can do now mm. to live longer and healthier and happier version of your life. And um it's like a separate bonus chapter right in the end of the book. Uh, it is about uh, 10 longevity choices that you can make today. And some of them are high tech, not a lot. Some of them are low tech and all these lifestyle changes that we all know, like changing your diet, exercise, you know, physical activity routine, uh, doing regular medical screenings, uh, meditating, uh, making sure you're taking care of your mental health. So that's now. This That's is all the stuff that we yeah, yeah, constantly get. Yeah, your mom told me that, right? Sorry. And um, <laughs> sorry, my mom uh, told me that. Uh, and um, But from my perspective as a longevity investor, this is pretty um, low tech. And it's really difficult to implement because it, it does depend on our own discipline. And we humans are pretty uh, lazy species. Uh, if I can put it this way. Well, that's then, a big problem, isn't it? I mean, what can you do about that other than if you're not a disciplined person and you don't have the right diet yeah. choices or exercise yeah. choices or whatever, then, then yeah. you're screwed. Yeah, it's it's super difficult. So that's why I, I like two uh, high-tech ways of taking care of your own health. One is making sure you do your medical screen every year. Right. And when I have 30 seconds on longevity, this is like the only thing that I tell people to do. The most important day of your life every year, obviously my wife has a different view on, on that question, is really? a day of your medical screening. Okay. Yeah. And right now we have the technology which can discover so many really fatal diseases 
um, at very early stage that give us an opportunity to uh, really recover and fight this disease. Like early stage cancer uh, has recovery rates of 90 to 100% these days for some of the cancer types. And uh, late stage cancer will give you recovery rates anywhere between like 10 to 30%. See the difference. So that's kind of one way of being less disciplined, but medical, just making sure. Medical screenings, huh? Yeah, so that's one. What, what, uh, um, second, what, what is the thing there? Like, I, I, I'm not one of those people that go to the get a medical screening every year. What, what do you mean by medical screening? What do we do? Do we so, just come yeah, up just, GP and yeah, yeah? So you just seen your doctor and saying, look, uh, I'm approaching my that age, right? Whether it's 40, 45, yeah. 50, obviously, you know, above, and say. You know, I know like the majority of deaths come from cancer, heart disease, diabetes, and neurodegenerative diseases. Can we design like a screening program for me that which would eliminate uh, or highlight the risks in this area? And they, and this is not a rocket science. These are all pretty standard procedures like full body MRI, uh, CT, not every year, um, ultrasound, uh, diagnostic, um of some of your body parts or your systems right uh a blood test uh etc and shouldn't this uh, be common practice now like but if i have to go into my doctor i feel that i'm gonna have to sort of guide them on what i want they're not going to be able to go yeah look i know yes. what a medical screening is let's, let's yes do this. we we have different routines and different protocols all around the world and um, we just need to remember the version of medicine and healthcare that we have today is very symptomatic. It's yeah. like emergency help uh, driven, yeah. responding to disease which already manifested itself in a big way. But the version of medicine that we're going to see in the future and that I want you and our audience to start practicing now is much more preventive. Mm. And prevention is a great thing. It's 10 to 20 times less expensive and it's super effective and super efficient. So uh, I like that. Again, uh, that's that's the power of medical screening. The other thing that I'd, uh, yeah, I'd love all of us to discover is the power of wearables. Um, whether it's Apple Watch, um, Fitbit, Whoop, Aura Ring, uh, Samsung Watch, it doesn't matter. We tend to think about this thing uh, like, um, like a wearable which help us to count our steps or to show notification from WhatsApp. Yeah. They are becoming our personalized healthcare devices. I'll, I'll just use Apple Watch as an example. Yeah. But yeah. again, I'm, I'm like, I'm using at least four different types of wearables with my cool. two hands, which is a challenge. Yeah. How do you keep um, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, I'm using them from different things. And obviously yeah. I'm an investor. So I, yeah. I'd love to test, test things, uh, specifically in the field of early diagnostic. So have you got like invested cool. interest in Aura or Apple Watches or anything like uh, that? No, no, actually, we haven't invested in it. So I'm wearing Whoop. We are not investors there. We are not investors in Aura. We, you know, I'm an investor in, in Apple through my personal equity investments. But this is one of the you know, yeah. uh, composition of S&P 500 or NASDAQ. I even forgot what part of index is that. And obviously, I'm not an investor in continuous glucose monitor that I'm wearing. Um, but um, it's, it's really interesting to track. So Apple Watch can detect five different um, types of heart risk called arrhythmia. 
It can detect when you fall down on the street, it can call ambulance for you and actually notify your um, loved ones uh, that you need help. Uh, it can do electrocardiogram. This is, not this is not the most precise version of electrocardiogram in the world, but I know people who were helping people on the plane during the flight, they've been called as doctors. And like the first thing they've done, they take out their Apple Watch, you know, put on person's uh, um, uh, hands and trying to understand is there anything uh, in, uh, in the field of, you know, heart disease or heart risk that they're experiencing at the moment, right, during the flight. So um, then Apple would add few features and, and a lot of different variables will add the same features like mm. uh, glucose, uh, um, detecting the level of glucose in your blood, hopefully in non-invasive way, and measuring your blood uh, pressure. Uh, this is going to be like 90% of the data that you want to collect on a regular, on a permanent basis. And this would help AI algorithm to detect, are you having a problem? Are you in a risk area with, with your health? And you mm. require urgent uh, help. But Look, this is about today, right? This is uh, uh, this is a number of things that you can do today. But the, the, we what we should expect in the next 5, 10, 15 years within the near horizon of longevity innovations. This is the you know, term that I use in the book. Um, we're going to see more exciting stuff. Mm. And this will come from gene editing and gene therapy. We will be able to treat so many diseases on a genetic level. Uh, this will come from completely different class of drugs called longevity drugs. And that's another chapter in the book. Um, some of the drugs we know today, like metformin, uh, diabetes drug, which can be repurposed and but should be tested for the purposes of fighting aging and therefore adding two, three, five healthy years to our life. Really? Or this can be, it can easily be a drug developed with the help of artificial intelligence. And, um, and the third area, which I think is super promising in the next uh, one or two decades, uh, is the area of regenerative medicine. Uh, and it's not only stem cells, it's also about uh, replaceable organs or organ regenerations, uh, where we will be able to use technologies to replace some of the organs or the systems inside our bodies. Hmm. What's the mid-forum you just talked about? Yeah, so um, remember I said like three most promising things is genetic engine therapy, longevity in the pill, and organ regeneration. Yeah. So metformin is one of the candidates for this new class of drugs. Yeah. And, um, and again, uh, it can be new drug developed so by this AI. This is a drug for patients with diabetes? Yes, exactly. And it's been here in this world for the last 50 to 60 years. So yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty safe for proven uh, risk profile. It's been used massively in treating diabetes. Uh, yeah. So therefore, um, just some people discovered or had a view that it can actually help, uh, well, the broader population rather than the one carrying the risk of um, diabetes. So not, and, not if, if you don't have diabetes, you could take this and, and potentially help your lifespan. So, um, first of all, you would need to see your doctor and discuss that with him or with her, right? Yeah. So, yeah. this is the, um, 
pharmaceutical product, which obviously require uh, not only my kind of advice. That's just yeah. one. Second, it's it hasn't been tested in the context of longevity. So it's been tested to help people with diabetes, but not with, with a broader population. So that's why uh, we planning is to start a trial next year in the US to test uh, metformin in the context of uh, uh, treating the broader population. In the context of uh, metformin, hopefully being repurposed uh, and reapproved as longevity drugs, as mm. anti-aging drug. And um, that's it. So I, I, I probably we, I, I do think we are probably around three, five, seven years away from using metformin. But again, I would just rather wait and see uh, the outcome of the what trial. What does it do actually? Like, what does it do to help longevity? What's the... Yeah, it helps you to regulate your glucose level in the blood. Right. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, as easy as that. So it's proven beneficial. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we're jumping back a bit, but I mean, I like I like the idea. I mean, we always talk about diet and exercise and things like that. And obviously they're the things immediately in our control, but um, medical checkups and uh, wearables, yeah. and all things. I don't have any wearables, um, never have, but have been interested recently in, in looking into getting one just to monitor sleep and things like that. But certainly um, good recommendations there. Is there advice you can give people on what wearable to choose or how to get through the clutter? Because there's so many out there. Like, what do we do to make the choice? Yeah. Um, so, uh, look, I'm kind of reluctant to give people prescription in terms of which particular brand to prefer. Yeah. So on a general level, all wearables will become our personalized healthcare devices. This yeah. is imminent. This is yeah. this is going to happen in the next, you know, two to three years. Mm. Uh, so that's one. Second, I would stick to like a larger platform, uh, Samsung, uh, Google, which bought Fitbit, uh, Apple with Apple Watch. I'm personally, again, this is my personal experience. You don't need to repeat it. I'm a big fan of Apple Watch because it actually is super helpful to measure your um, sleep cycle and establish the feedback loop before, between, uh, between the quality of your sleep and some of your choices that you made on the day before. Um, it's amazing in terms of stimulating you to do more physical activity. So I like, you know, I'm, since I started to use Apple Watch and, and they have this nice motivational system when you have like electronic awards, well, literally on the screen on the clock or your app on iPhone. Um, if you completed this number of steps during the day or you've done it through the week or you had like a great, great month when you uh, completed you know, all your uh, movement and physical activity goals through this month, it's kind of gamifying your relationship with physical activity. But this mm-hmm. is what actually like uh, helps me a lot and uh, and again, Apple uh, is one of the biggest investors in in uh, healthcare. I actually believe. Uh, well, it's not me. I've seen a report a uh, year and a half ago uh, from one of the inv- global investment banks saying that Apple might generate half of its revenue from um, healthcare uh, in the, in the end of this decade. Yeah. And frankly speaking, you Makes know, sense. obviously, I'm not. Uh, yeah, I'm not saying you know, big tech uh, is uh, like a, 
necessarily only good things. There's, there's just a lot of controversy around that. But I'm not really afraid of that because the version of healthcare, which will be brought by Microsoft, Apple, a lot of startups that we're supporting in the field of healthcare is much more data-driven, technology-based, much more proactive, and it's like super personalized. Yeah. Forget about like, you know, is it for male or for female? It's going to be a really personalized for you. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I love it. It's, it's almost like an opportunity for us to experience completely different version of healthcare, much more technological and much Definitely more futuristic. I guess the, the, the concerns that you could raise is, you know, how they track us and all the information they, they yeah. contain about us and how they use that um, to manipulate us or coerce us into perhaps decisions that um, we wouldn't have otherwise made. But the, on the other hand, like you said, we're, we're, we're humans and not very good um, disciplines, i.e. I've never had a medical checkup. Um, you know, these sort of devices will will force us to think about those things and um, have medical checkups, which must be obviously exactly. good for health. Exactly. Can I ask you how old are you, Lee? I'm 40, just 40. 40, just go for it. This is actually the time where, uh, so think about it, like from evolutionary perspective, uh, mother nature needs you, uh, well, first, first somewhere around 20 years before uh, you become reproductive and can take care of kids. Then another 20 years to take care of kids and uh, hopefully to transfer wisdom to the next generation. But then after 40, what is happening? We have this genetic program where aging mm. starts. So you, you wouldn't really compete for uh, resources because mother nature never had abundance uh, as a value, right? As a, as a paradigm when it's designed humans. Um, so right after age of 40, uh, aging will start to manifest itself and uh, start to develop more and more inside your body and brain. So I do think it's a perfect time to start your or resetting your relationship with uh, healthcare. And think about this. We delegated all our health related decisions to other parties, big food, uh, big pharma, governments, um, hospitals, insure, com, insuring, uh, sorry, insurance companies. Yeah. Um, yeah, and like, where's our voice? I'm not saying you need to become a doctor, but you need to have your say and or have your view or develop the view uh, on very important things uh, which are related to your health. So start with journey, you'll, you'll really love it. Mm. So um, get a medical screening. Yes. What, but what, you can, um, like, it sounds, can I just, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. Like, I'm just getting excited about this whole, you couldn't <laughs> imagine, I'm not MD, right? So I'm not a medical doctor, <clears throat> uh, but I have this unique opportunity to save human lives. And, I'm do, and I've done it by doing what I just done, what I just did with our audience sending everyone to do medical screening. You couldn't even imagine how many people called me up and said, Sergey, you saved my life. I discovered early stage cancer. And because it was early stage, I'm now fully recovered. And mm. quality of my life is the same. I, I, I took it out from the body. Uh, there's a number of technologies uh, right, and interventions to do this. Like you literally saved my life. Yeah. And this is why I'm doing what I'm doing now. So it might sound a little bit um, 
theoretical, but it's not. It's like bloody practical. You're in the United States, aren't you? I spend most of my time there. Yeah. I um, mean, is, is, it, is it more common that people go, can go to a, a doctor or whoever um, and say, look, I want a, a medical screening and they know what to advise them on? Or, or do people still have to? Because I, I would have thought this now is something that's fairly easy to go in and say, hey, I want a, a medical screening and you know, tell me what, what, what my body's like, you know? Yeah, so it does depend from the country. Yeah. And in some of the countries, um, preventive screening is a part of the uh, like your insurance plan or what is offered. Yeah. And this is great. This is just recognizing preventive version of um, uh, medicine. In some of the countries, um, your healthcare system will happily take care of your emergency needs. But I like everything which is like planned uh, in advance will not be covered. And this is where I have tricky conversations with people from all around the world. Uh, people would usually say like, well, Sergey, why do I need to spend like $2,000 a year to take uh, care of this medical screening? And, and I'm, I'm usually like asking people, you know, how much money they spend on their car, on their fuel or on the maintenance of their own car. Uh, and um, fairly good most of us, <laughs> yeah, most of us spend... 10 times more on our car mm. if you also include the cost of ownership rather than our own health and I, but i do think our body and mind are much more precious and important for us than uh cars but that's oh, that's just mentality yeah. that's just paradigm change that we all need to have yeah 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 but i think that you know that medical screening process will help people if you identify anything early um will help that that making of um, behavior change and, and decision making exactly yeah so we, what we discuss what we can do now mm. what we, we discuss what we should expect in the next 10 15 years yep. within the near horizon of longevity innovation mm -hmm. uh, but also we just need to make sure we stay on longevity breach we stay um you know as healthy and as and as happy as possible yep. at this state so we can enjoy the benefits of these innovations. And there is something really far away, like 25, 50 years from now, when we're going to be completely different, we can be living far beyond 122 years, which is maximum lifespan. How on far Earth away today. do you think that is? Uh, I think it's 25 to 50 years, yeah. but it's going to be completely different humans. It's going to be genetically edited humans against a lot of genetic diseases. Um, we're going to have... Um, a human brain computer interface. Uh, we are going to be living in a world of human avatars and uh, world which consists of internet of bodies. This is similar to what we know today is internet of things. We're all going to be full of sensors, right? And, and artificial intelligence will help us to identify uh, smallest risk related to our health. But it's it's again, it's completely different. Uh, it's like humans 2.0, uh, where man and machine will become one. And right. frankly speaking, I mean, if you look 25, 50 years from now, th the biggest obstacles for the new world is not going to be science. It's not going to be technology, because I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure we solve uh, yeah, both of this. It's going to be human ethics and regulation. 
we have created technologies to extend our life, but we haven't created life that we want to extend. This actually comes back to the beginning of our conversation. Explain that, that 60 to 80%. Right? Yeah. So what I'm saying, like 60 to 80% of people, they don't want to have a longer life. Hmm. And this is the problem. We need to fix the world. And there's so many ethical choices and dilemmas associated with longer living. Like, what about inequality gap? Would longevity and all these technologies give us an opportunity to close that? Or yeah. world would become more divided? That's one. Mm. Second, what about our relationship with Mother Nature? Today, you can afford to be irresponsible because, I mean, you think I'm going to die in 20 years and then next generation will sort out this plastic in the ocean or anything else. Yeah. In a, in a, in a world where we are going to be living 120, 150 years, we would face the consequences of our own actions. Well, the other thing, uh, and this is really fascinating for me uh, and interesting, all these social constructs that we have in today's world was created for the world where the average person were living 35 years. And I'm talking about marriage. I'm talking about um, lifelong career, full-time employment, or full-time retirement. In the world where we're going to live well, 120, 150 years, uh, it's not going to be one career for you. Can I have as many careers as decades in my life? Mm. Or marriage, look at marriage. Two thirds of the marriages are going through divorce in the first five years after the wedding. Yeah. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Like, and we still have this binary, like black and white, married, non-married. Can we help people? to organize their relationship and to be mutually responsible for raising kids, even if they still, if they are not, sorry, uh, if they are not in love anymore. Yeah. We would need to have flexibility in, uh, in actually helping people and, and make more kids happy mm. and support it. Or um, this full-time retirement, full-time job thing, two most dangerous years of your life is the year of your birth because we still have pretty high infant mortality in this world and year of your retirement because people lose the social connections, the opportunity for social realization. It almost, they almost feel like they, they are turning from assets for society to liabilities. Yeah. So in the future world, uh, it's not going to be binary, like part-time employment, different time of engagement, will be super supportive. So like it, when I think about my own life, you know, I'm not going to go on retirement. You know, I'm just continue to be engaged in so many different projects. Yeah, I think- And I, mean, I can go on and on. Yeah, it's just, it's, something, but it's, it's an endless topic, yeah. It's a really important one. I was going to bring up that question because whether you like the idea or not of living to 120 or 200 years old, that obviously extends life for the population and, and the population is yeah. already um, to a, to a breaking point. Like how do we, how do we, um, you know, manage keep up that. With food supplies and manage that sort of things. How do we manage climate change based on a bigger population yeah. and a growing population? How do we manage yeah. the aging population? You know, because we consider that above 65, you're in the aging population that we have to support. Um, but why should that be the case? Why can't we have 65 to 100 being still productive years? 
Yeah, exactly. So that's one. Uh, I'm not concerned about food, uh, probably with the exception of African continent. Um, Why is because, that? Uh, yeah, uh, well, I do think African continent would require a lot of our effort and help from the outside to solve food shortage problem. Uh, outside that, like look at the US, 45% of food from supermarkets and households and restaurants go to waste every night. Hmm. 45%. Yeah. We, we just need to be much more efficient with food distribution. Population is an easy thing. Uh, so if you look at any meaningful prediction or forecast of uh, uh, population numbers for the planet, um, from today's 8 billion, this will pick up up to 11 billion around 2050. And then it will go down to 8 billion again by the end of the century. Oh. Why is that? Hmm. Because reproduction rates for majority of countries in the world, again, with exception of African continent, which historically has higher reproduction rates, are so low that for every female today, we have 1.3 kids. That's it. So we are nowhere near of reproducing ourselves. So China will lose, um, from today's 1.4 billion people, will lose 600 million by the end of the century if they will not respond. So Is it's that because not like, of the way of life that, that we don't have? Yes, like we have now, so many alternatives. Just... Yeah, exactly. We have so many alternatives, both for male and female part of the population. Uh, people just... Uh, you know, take a, a different alternative path rather than dedicated their time and resources to kids. That's it. I can't understand why the popula population will decrease, but if we're still having, you know, 1.3 kids for every person or every woman. Uh, no, for every female. So every male female. Will, will, yeah, male will always need uh, female to reproduce. So like if, if, you, if it's easier for you, like for every couple, like two people, yeah, reproduction is one point three, so this below two. So there's going to be more deaths than births. Oh yeah, exactly, and this is what we. But if we're see living longer, then how is that? How is that the case? Uh, yeah, so like I, I do believe that extending productive stage of our life is a potential res response to this silver tsunami and uh, demographic crisis on a world scale. I'm not trying to like be dramatic here no, but no, no, this no. are the facts yeah this are like real facts yeah no it's just interesting to think that you know if we've got a, a population that could potentially live to 120 or 200 um plus we've still you know we're still producing how can yeah. the um how can such a big population decrease so dramatically it seems uh well it's well big figures uh and yeah. uh we took in we're talking about you know eight billion people today and mm. majority of us you know uh like every couple would have uh less than two kids so that's uh, that's a certain inertia uh yeah. for the human lives but uh that's that's actually if you think about this it's, it's a pretty simple calculation that you can do just on a country basis yeah yeah so with the um, the longevity, I mean, you talk about um, gene technology and, and editing our genes as being a big part of that. Um, do you think we'll have, I mean, could we still be classified as humans or would be more sort of robotic uh, living in computers? Like how do you see that playing out? 
So, um, Ooh, uh, where do I start? Um, well, first of all, I'm not big fan of like virtual worlds, no. right? Uh, yeah, I, I, I would love to stay in, in a material world. Um, so that's kind of one thought. The second thought. Do you think virtual um, worlds will become a fairly commonplace? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's like knowing what I know from like investment and technological perspective. I'm going to tell you the story in a minute, which uh, was like shocking realization for me about human avatars. Um, so um, so that's kind of one thought. Second thought, like because we are living today and we speak in today, like we tend to overestimate our importance hmm. and our excellence in the process of evolution. But in the end of the day, right, we're not going to be like final design of the humans, right? In 100, 1,000, 10,000, like million years from now, it's going to be different humans, okay? Yeah. And we need to accept that. Then the usual paradigm was that it's going to be different humans in a real material world. But since we invented, you know, computing power and virtual world we can easily migrate there i'm not saying that i don't want to you know i want to do this but so my story is the following um remember i was just discussing this near horizon of longevity technologies mm. pretty peaceful things that we invest in and i wanted to dedicate like five percent of our fund longevity vision fund to investing in like really futuristic technologies like human brain computer in integration interface um human avatars as well so we look at three robotic avatars companies two in california one in japan one actually has been built by inventor of human avatars professor tachi i had an interview with him for my book um, um and you know what we rejected all of these um companies because robotic avatars like robotic copies of us that they build were incomparably more expensive than trying to reproduce us, our brain and our thoughts in virtual environment. Mm. Mm. So like to my shock and disappointment uh, as a human being, not as an investor, uh, apparently it's just much easier to like reproduce us in virtual world. And that's right. it. So that's why we didn't invest there like at all, because I didn't really like the idea of migrating to virtual worlds, but I didn't really like the economics of robotic. Uh, Do you think there'd be two lives. types of worlds? Like there'd be a virtual world for perhaps yeah. um, people uh, that are less wealthy and, and the real world for people that can actually afford to have medical screens and medical yeah. gene therapy so and things like that? So what do I think about this one? I do think we'll, we're going to see like two different type of worlds, like virtual and a material world, and they mm. will interact and going to be super interconnected, even integrated. Coming back to your <clears throat> inequality question, I'm like, I'm so delighted to report to you and to our audience today, like almost every technology that we're investing in um, brings 10 to 20, not percent, but times efficiency gain uh, or cost decrease against current um, like a way of treating particular symptom or particular yeah. disease yeah. i'm like super happy like technology is as an opportunity to like democratize this whole thing and we invested in like portable ultrasound devices which cost 50 50 times less than ultrasound device in a hospital next door we invested in early colon cancer tests 
which costs uh, five times less than the current procedure called colonoscopy to identify colon cancer risk. Um, we invested in liver regeneration technology, which is 25 times less expensive than liver transportation in today's world. Well, like I'm, I'm really amazed by the ability of the new technology to completely democratize access to healthcare. I know I'm, I'm like super optimistic guy, but like these are the figures. <laughs> it sounds like it's good. I like it. The, um, the book is available on Amazon, um, and I want to encourage everyone to pick it up and have a read. Like, what a fascinating, a fascinating topic of conversation to have this Christmas, eh? Oh, yeah, that's amazing. And again, it's, uh, there's so many things that we can do now. And there are so many things that we can dream about and think about and think about ethical choices. What are the technologies which will help us to, um, to live longer, healthier and happier life? But one thing is obvious. We're all going to be living longer or radically longer than we expect. And there are so many implications from this message, from this thought um, in the book. Why do you think that 60 to 80% of the population don't want to live longer than the current life expectancy? Uh, why? Hmm. Yeah, so um, number one, I, and I, as you can imagine, I, I give it a lot of thought. So number one, uh, we have a wrong model of aging in today's world because um, we never actually tried to fight aging, all we've done, we were fighting early death. So that's why, uh, you know, people spent the last five, five yeah, 10 yeah. years of their life in a very fragile state. That's yeah. why, you know, when, when Sergey Young or any other longevity enthusiast will tell you we're going to live longer, people automatically add another 10, 20 very fragile yeah. years mm. right in the end of their lifespan while what we're working on is reversing aging processes inside your body so if you want to go to extreme like in 100 years from now uh, if not us then next generations uh, will be able to pick up their target age and usually it's anywhere between 25 and 45 this is where people you know think they are in productive super productive stage of their life um, I'm 50, so I'm enjoying my 50s, but I wouldn't mind to kind of go back um, like a decade or, uh, you know, 15 years. So, um, so that's, that's why we all are against um, life extension or, you know, extending yeah, so you our health span and lifespan. Longer, but we're going to live in a state of... No, yeah, yeah, but it's not going to be the longer. case. Yeah, we just... We just, you know, fail to recognize that because yeah. we haven't seen that in the world of medicine and, you know, in the world overall. No, yeah, good point. What, um, do you say you're in your 50s now or early 50s? Yeah, I just turned 50 um, okay. a month ago. Yeah. What was your, um, so far in, in five decades, what was your best years, do you think, looking back at it? Um. Just an off question. Look, uh, yeah. So, um, God didn't give me the didn't give me the passion uh, in the beginning of my life, and it was only my personal health crisis uh, back in 2014 when I was 43, mm -hmm. 
when I started to develop my interest in longevity and healthcare and, and health and the human biology, this is where I got my passion. And, yeah. and again, just by saving a few human lives, just you know, pushing everyone to do medical screening, I felt, well, here I am. So that's why last seven years of my life uh, are the best for me because I changed my mission from like taking care of my immediate family. And I'm, I'm from very poor family from, uh, it's not middle of nowhere, from, no, from the end of nowhere in Russia. Um, to become uh, a man who is uh, trying to take care of the world and bring affordable and accessible version of healthcare and longevity to as many people as possible. What was your health crisis? Oh, no, it's, it's nothing dramatic. Like 40% oh, okay. of people suffer from that. I just happened to have extremely high cholesterol level. Yeah. And this is a huge risk factor for heart disease. So I had a choice to live on medication like every day till the rest of my life or to change my lifestyle and you know, start to work with my health on a completely different level. And I, I took a second path and I, I was so amazed. And in the course of six months, um, I managed lifestyle interventions. I managed to decrease my cholesterol to appropriate level. And, I, and it was like a huge wake up call about mm. how human body and human biology works that our body is like is literally self-healing uh, organism uh, i mean you couldn't heal yourself from like all diseases but uh there are so many like processes and systems that can help you to become much healthier and happier version of yourself without relay relying on like big pharma if you want yeah 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 what um what what do you do now? Like, what's the daily sort of ritual look like as far as um, activities and and diet? Yeah. So again, this kind of five longevity buckets from the now horizon. One medical screening. We discussed that. Second, I don't do stupid or risky choices. So like, you know, I'm not uh, smoking tobacco. I'm always using seat belts. I'm not riding motorcycle because the motorcycles are seventeen times more dangerous than driving a car in mm -hmm. terms of mortality. Uh, third, as a diet, uh, I'm heavily plant-based. I'm not a vegetarian or vegan, but I, I, I do have a lot of friends uh, from this community, um, but I'm heavily plant-based. I'm decreasing my calorie intake because this is like a proven way to extend your lifespan and health span. Uh, less of the meat and fish, more uh, 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 zero sugar, added sugar, uh, mm -hmm. more plants. Yep. Uh, I'm fasting. Uh, you can do window fasting, like 16 hours fast and then taking your food in within the eight hours interval. I do like weekly fasting sessions, 36 hours every week, right. Monday evening to Wednesday morning. You don't need to be so radical like I am, but I'm just really enjoying it. You do that every week? Just, just yeah, yeah, yeah. Water yeah. yeah, it's my routine. Yeah, in fact, I'm actually going to detox clinic in 48 hours from our conversation. I'll start my um, uh, annual five days fast. Uh, I'm so excited about this whole thing. Uh, so that, that was number three, uh, decreasing your calorie intake, being heavily plant-based. Number four uh, is about physical activity, using your wearable to do 10,000 steps a day. This is a good start. It's a good baseline for... Yeah becoming 
fit. And then on top of that, you can put like whatever you want. Like for me, it's uh, cardio exercises, it's stretching and yoga. And number five, it's what I call peace of mind. Because you don't want to be living longer if you're unhappy. So mental health is super important. Mm. And for me, it's quality and quantity of my sleep. Uh, it's mindfulness and meditation because we all have extremely high cortisol level. It's a, it's a stress hormone and yeah. we'll need to decrease that uh, through meditation and mindfulness exercises. And finally, within this piece, this peace of mind um, is sense of purpose. Uh, living, uh, you know, being a better version of yourself, giving more than you take from the world and uh, help others uh, succeed sharing the best of you with the world that's important hmm. there's some really good stuff in that um you know with with your mindfulness what does that look like in a daily routine do you, do you... uh yeah so <clears throat> i started to i don't know if you've heard about this device uh, it's called muse um muse? it's like a device which helps you to meditate uh it has like a five sensors uh that you put it on your hat and it actually detects your brain waves. Yes, and it gives you use your um, like AirPods. Uh, it's it, yeah, it's just around your head, right? Um, and uh, you use your AirPods, and it gives you like a feedback. If you are meditating well, uh, it gives you like good sounds of nature, uh, like uh, sounds of the sea or birds singing. And it, but if you do a really bad job, it gives you a really hard time, like thunderstorm, uh, strong wind, uh, rain, etc. Right. So it's really nice and, and friendly way to give you feedback during meditation. I've done it for a year, a little bit more. But then I, I, what I've done, I actually thought there is nothing in this world, probably with, yeah, with exception of a little bit of uh, silence around me, that human needs for meditation. So right now, what I'm doing, uh, 12 to 15 minutes of meditation in the calm uh, room at my home. I have four kids, so you know, finding the silence is a challenge. But uh, this is what I do, like at least five times uh, a week, and uh, and that's it. And I just meditate. Good, hey, Muse. I've just looked it up online now, so you've got a. A device that sits on your head that um yeah helps you with your meditation that, that'd be good for us that uh the struggle to sit there in silence otherwise oh yeah i'm always full of energy so actually i like and i'm used in terms of uh using this like an intro to the world of meditation and like mm. help me to learn meditating but then then after like i don't know probably even six months i didn't feel like i really need this so again, like you can do it everywhere. And there's so many great things. Like there's so many apps for meditation, like Calm, Headspace. Even if you go to YouTube, there's so many like free meditation uh, videos there and yeah. uh, audio. I just, I really love it. Yeah. And there's heaps out there. It's hard to choose sometimes, isn't it? With the overwhelming, same with wearables, I think. Um, like you mentioned one before, which I only just recently heard of, which was the Aura Ring. Yeah. You know, have you heard good things about that? Oh, yeah. So Aura, the beauty of Aura Ring is a wearable is that it's, it's actually, it looks like a ring. So when you go to bed, 
you don't need to wear like Apple Watch or Whoop or Fitbit, uh, which can be a little bit distracting, but like, or it's just a small ring on your um, finger. And the beauty of that is actually I'm using this to track my sleep. And right. um, every morning I just go to the app and it synchronizes itself with uh, the ring and gets data. And I'm looking to like, what is the like a, my KPIs, uh, key performance indicators for my sleep. And I usually track like the overall length because the my rule is eight hours in the bed, which is seven hours of sleep. And so that's super important. You cannot really, you know, uh, take hours from your sleep time. It's, it's against your health and longevity. I'm also looking at, um, uh, at the length of my deep sleep stage. Mm -hmm. which is really important for recovery. And I'm just trying for this to be, you know, at least uh, above year, uh, hour and a half or you know, up to two uh, hours. It's, and it's kind of cool. Uh, it actually helps you. This establishing feedback through wearables. It gives you the opportunity to change. Like before that, uh, you know, I've done so many bad choices for my sleep, but then, what I've discovered, like if I would have coffee after like 2 p.m. and I'm, I'm, I'm in love with coffee, um, uh, <laughs> then it will affect my deep sleep. So it will decrease substantially uh, or not to say, but like coffee after the dinner. So I, I, I actually switched to decaf, decaffeinated coffee. Oh. And I can have like a normal espresso, but like at 10 a.m. And the rest of the day, I would just take decaf. So that's, that's improved substantially the quality of my sleep. Or... Uh, one or two glasses of wine um, uh, before, like right after the dinner, also would move my deep sleep from midnight to like towards four or five a.m. and would shorten the deep sleep. Yeah. So it's it's really helpful to understand that you're like, okay, you know, I don't want to sacrifice the quality of my sleep. Uh, so it's it's helps you to change the habit. Mm. Yeah. The um, yeah, lots lots of things there that I I certainly don't um doing myself but a lot of ideas that um i think i want to look into a bit more oh yeah look it's an endless conversation human body and, and mind i mean this whole topic is is really fascinating and there are so many things that you can discover on this path and there are so many things that you can change and and again become like a healthier and happier version of yourself yeah, well, I think it's a topic that needs to be discussed and, um, because it's not going away, is it? Exactly. So it's, um, mate, look, Sergey, I really appreciate your time today. Um, you've got a fantastic book out there, really interesting conversations too. Um, how can people best reach out to you if they want to connect and learn more? Yeah, two options. One is uh, you know, going to the book. It's the science and technology of growing young. Second is going to sergeyyoung.com. Yeah. sergeyyoung.com and sign up for our newsletters every month we send you a newsletter with um, a lot of uh, science and technology and it's fascinating and we're trying to use really simple wording to explain it so yeah we had an extremely good ex response rate uh, to our newsletters that's like two best way to connect you can go to instagram at sergeyyoung200 where 200 stands for number of years i want to mm -hmm. live on this planet yeah, nice. guys. Check it out, thehiddenwide.com. Uh, Sergey, once again, thank you so much for coming on and sharing. Thanks, Lee. Thanks, everyone. Stay healthy and happy.
Check it out, guys. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels, using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there. And also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Lee Martin Lutzi. until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon